The Nova Guest List Podcast with Kieran McGuinness. The very best in indie, alternative, and homegrown music from the seriously addictive Radio Nova. So that is Latitude by the brilliant Sack on Radio Nova. And Sack have re released 25 years on their brilliant second album, Butterfly Effect. And uh, it's a great album. It's such a pleasure to listen to over the last week. And we're very, very lucky because we have John Brereton from Sack, uh, guitars and lyrics and songs. John, how are you getting on? Great, Kieran. Thanks for having me on the show. No, it's a pleasure to have you. I know you got soaked earlier on watching your son's football match, so uh, <laughs> you're, you're you're getting ready to go to a fortieth. So I'm not going to keep you too long, but it's a pleasure to have you this evening. Um, I mean, 25 years on after releasing an album, what's your what's your feeling of having it out again? That's oh, brilliant. I mean, especially the the vinyl arrived there the other day, you know. So um, it was it only came out on CD 25 years ago, and only in Ireland. So this is it's getting a, a worldwide release on digital CD and double vinyl as well. So that's amazing. I mean, we always thought we'd made a really good record, and I think the songs still stand up 25 years later. So it's great. Look, it just it feels amazing. You know yourself, the vinyl having that that thing in your hands as well. It's great, you know. Yeah, it's mad. Just that physical thing. I remember on our last album. When the vinyls came, it felt like the album was made, you know, or something. There was something like that, yeah. So uh, for people who don't know, and I'm assuming a lot of people do know, Sacker, five-piece band from Dublin, uh, from Santry and Finglas, uh, I suppose one of the most critically acclaimed bands of the 90s in Ireland. But you said, I read an interview and you said that um, it, it felt like it was difficult having no money at the time. So did you feel like you were transported back to the album time or... Do you feel like you live very much in the now and it's something you look back on a distance in the past when you listen to the album? I know. I, like, I, that's, as I say, that's one good thing about the album. I mean, you know, music, it kind of comes around in cycles, you know. I mean, like bands like The Fontaines and, and all, like, you know, to these older ears, like, they're nothing that new, you know, as great as they are. But, you know, they remind me of bands from kind of 25 years ago, but it's a very the younger ears are very fresh sound and stuff like that so I mean I think our album has that kind of you know that guitar driven kind of feel as well uh, it could be released by a band who are only in their early 20s you know so it, it's very much in the now I think you know I mean it it still sounds up so I'm very uh, I wouldn't be dwelling on the past obviously I remember making it and at the time as I said we were only signed to a very small Irish indie label, you know, like it was just even getting the record recorded and it was a kind of a challenge, you know, because especially in the 90s, like there wasn't that money going around and there was no like home recording and all that kind of digital home recording has transformed, you know, making albums, you know, it was always felt that it didn't get a fair crack of the whip, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's just wonderful to have a second go at it. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting as well. Twenty five years on to have that opportunity and still be a, a kind of a living band, which is brilliant. Um, Sack just released a brand new single and it's absolutely excellent. Uh, we played it on the show here. Yeah. So listen back to the album, and maybe you you agree with me, or maybe you want. It feels very much like a band. It feels like everyone has the space to make music, which is brilliant. I yeah. felt it was a guitar band, but not overly guitar-y. There was elements of rock, but it wasn't a rock album, and there was a kind of an a, a kind of a nineties feel. But also, it didn't feel like something from the '90s. I mean, that's the thing, I suppose. That I mean, you just mentioned that you think it stands up. It does sound of its time. It actually 
also doesn't. I know that sounds like, you know, I'm just contradicting myself, yeah. but it do, it sounds like it, it was outside that. At the time, did you feel like it was like that? Did you have that kind of reaction to it? Um, mm, I'm not sure. I mean, like, I, I think, you know, I was talking to someone about this the other day. They were saying, well, what would you define your sound as? I suppose we had elements of kind of 90s English indie with elements of 90s American alt rock as well. You know what I mean? Some songs sound a little bit pixie-ish, pavement-ish, and some others sound kind of like blur or whatever, you know? So it was kind of a, a nice mix of those two. Our first album, we were a five-piece, but we had a keyboard player. So uh, when we, we lived in London then. We moved. We were signed to a, a small independent label called Lemon Records, and we shared an office with Blur's uh, label, Food Records. And this was around the time the kind of whole rule of Britannia it was around 1994, 95. Mm. And like we were hanging out in the local pub, the Good Mixer in Camden, playing pool with Blur and like Alaska over there, Pulp, all those kind of bands. And it was a great time to be around England. But as well as that, it was very, the English press were very much about the that whole Rule Britannia thing, Tracy M and Damon Hurst as well. They were pushing their own. And uh, so it was tough to be an Irish band in that situation. So we came home and we lost our keyboard player and gained another guitar player, Dave Dorgan. So he was, he was a big Tom Verlaine fan uh, from television. Mm. So he gave us a different edge, you know. So uh, I, I just, I think it's about, you know, yourself, Kieran, it's also me about songwriting, mm. you know, and I think the songs are very well written, you know, and like Martin McCann's a great singer and, you know, he still sounds great. And uh, I think ultimately that's what kind of your ear gravitates, whether it's a good song or not, you know. Yeah, the melody stands stands out. Yeah. I was listening through the songs, and and uh, it, it's a great album. There's a song, "Blood Lover," sounds really like Morrissey solo. And then I went right. and looked further into your, you know, into the bio, and you and Morrissey then became a massive fan and took you on. A, it looks like a massive right. tour. So that must have yeah. been absolutely incredible for that to happen. How did that come about? We were playing in Wheelands one night, and there was a band supporting us called Sunbear. Morrissey had a house in Dublin, I think it was in Malahide, and his solicitor in Dublin managed Sunbear. He was coming down to see Sunbear and he missed them. And the lads in the band, who are big fans of theirs, said, you should really stick around and think you might like Sack. So he said, and Martin, our singer, is a huge Morrissey fan, I was. And uh, he kind of, we had started the first song, he tipped and he said, look who's standing against the wall, you know, and I looked over there. There he was, propping up the wall. Jesus. And it was like Martin kind of went white, you know. But anyway, he kept going. And then we were up in the old dressing room in Wheelands, back upstairs. And I remember, but uh, Marcy came up and all. And it was like, and we got a message then from his solicitor a few days later saying, he really thought the gig was excellent and he wants to help you out in whatever way he can. Don't know what way yet. But then, anyway, then we got another call a while later saying, look, he's going on a world tour. Do you want to play with him, support him? So I was like, yes, please. So... <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we started in Belgium and then went all over Europe and then into America and stuff like that. And it was just, it was incredible because his fan base were like, it's like Beatlemania, and especially in America. We, you'd arrive and at about one or two o'clock into the venue and like to be, people would have camped out overnight and I'll just be up the front to touch him. And uh, it was just insane. I mean, like we were playing 15,000 seaters, you know, and. Uh, like it had doors at half six, we went on at eight o'clock and the venues were full and it was just it just felt amazing, it was brilliant. 
Yeah, no. I, like on the first gig, we were kind of just kind of standing still and real nervous. But the time we got to America, like we were throwing the shapes and you know eye eye contact the front row and all those things you do when when you're playing big stadiums and it was just selling loads of merch and all like we were on fire. And then like when when it finished, our guitars got tinnitus. So mm. that kind of that changed the momentum of the band and. Uh, had to look for a new guitarist and uh, it, it kind of it didn't really work you know we, we auditioned a few people and it just it that changed momentum but another thing about that that tour was it was when Morrissey wasn't signed so there was no kind of media circus around him he didn't have a new album out or anything he kind of it was only when he released the Irish Blood English uh, Heart album a, few, a year or two later that kind of he became everyone's favourite pop star again and so we were kind of unlucky in that regard. I mean, we were going down brilliantly with, with his crowd, but there was no reviews, no record company looking at, at seeing how we were doing because we were going down really well. But so we were lucky in one regard and unlucky. And I think, you know, when they say bands get a break or whatever, that was could have been our break, but it didn't happen. So that was the hard luck story in a way. Well, this is it. Like, you know, albums, great art, all that kind of stuff is always just a mixture of like, you know, kind of hard luck stories and just moments that could have been something else. But look, at it's it's a brilliant album, Butterfly Effect, uh, 25 years old this week. Go and check it out on Glorious Vinyl. We're going to play one more song, John. We're going to play Laughter Lines, which I think really stuck out to me as being a great tune. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it before you play it? Well, I know it to go back to Morrissey, and um, he said, oh, it shall be number one forever, you know, which was obviously a great quote for mm. us to use in media. It's a real bittersweet song. I mean, the opening line, I drink to forget, but I only remember and all. It's, it's a great uh, opening salvo to a tune, but it's, yeah, it's always been a huge life favourite and uh, it always gets people, you know, so it's uh, one that we always play. It's, yeah. It is a great tune. Yeah, it's a great tune. And if you want to see it live, Sack are playing in the Workman's Cellar, May the 21st, and tickets you can go and get on Eventbrite. Thank you so much for chatting to us, John. This is Laughter Lines by Sack on Radio Nova. The Nova Guest List Podcast with Kieran McGuinness. The very best in indie, alternative, and homegrown music from the seriously addictive Radio Nova.